There's a powerful statement made in Macbeth. Typically, dramatic Shakespearean line that goes like this. Each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face. And we don't want to believe that, but it's true. This is the world we live in. Every morning the dawn breaks and there are, are more ruined lives, more cries of death, and disease and despondency and disillusionment, thousands more. And even if up until now you've led a charmed life, a, a sheltered life, it's inevitable that one of those mornings is going to be you, if it hasn't already. Each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face. Exactly what you need to hear today, right? Only a few sentences into today's sermon, I've already encouraged you, inspired you, right? But it's true. Hard times do come to all of us at some point in our lives, and the real question, real question at a time like that is, are you going to be mastered by those, that hard time, or are you going to master it? It's our question for today. In this series on Abraham's journey, you've heard me say that Abraham is one of Scripture's many mentors for two reasons. He's a mentor to learn from because of the foundation on which he built his life, his foundation being God's promise of salvation, eternal life in heaven. It's why Abraham's one of the men included in Hebrews chapter 11. He's a mentor because he knew his true north, and he was committed to pursuing it, to making it happen. He he knew God's call in his life to be a blessing to this world, and because he knew that, he, I mean, he was 100% committed to it. He believed in his foundation, and he was committed to his true north. Again, just so we're, we're all on the same page, true north is God's call for our lives. It's what's true to who you are, and what's right and best for you, and, and really the people whose life you influence. It's it's maximizing God's potential in your life. And when you've identified your true north, you, you know what your life's all about. You know what you're doing, why you're doing it. You have a very clear sense of direction. And the power of this is that in the big stuff of life, it settles so much for you. It, it, it guides you in every decision you make and what you do and what you don't, you don't do. It's, it's like you don't have to keep on revisiting what's right and what's best. That's settled. You've, you've settled that matter. Read the chapters in Genesis describing Abraham's life. And one of the things you learn is that no matter how hard things got, he stayed the course. Now, when I, when I say that, and we're going to see this this morning, it's not that Abraham didn't have any struggles. He he definitely had struggles, but he never walked away from God's call in his life. He held firm to his foundation and to his true north, and, and, and that's why you and I can look to him as a mentor 
for our own lives. And really, the question that we should be asking ourselves is, how can I have a life like that even when life gets hard? How can I master the hard stuff of life instead of the hard stuff of life mastering me? I, I, I would say to all of us today that that's probably one of the most significant questions we can ask and, and answer for ourselves. And the earlier in life we're able to begin answering that question, the better off we will be. How can I master the hard stuff of life instead of the hard stuff of life mastering me. Now, this morning, I'd like us to look at an obstacle to living the kind of masterful life that Abraham lived, and I, I think all of us want to live it, and that obstacle is doubt. Doubt. It's a, it's a hard stuff of life that raises doubt, isn't it? In the midst of it, it's very natural, very easy to ask those those tough questions about God, in a, you know, questions like this. In, in a world where so much bad, hard stuff happens, how can I believe in a God? Or how can I believe in a, in a, that, that God, God is good? How, how can I trust God? How can I move forward in my relationship with God? How can I live by faith? I'm guessing at some point in all of our lives, we've struggled with those kind of questions. And it's likely... That our struggle's been its greatest when our life has been its hardest. That may be where you're at today. Uh, you've been hit with some really hard stuff. Or someone you love's been deal dealt some heavy blows. And, and, and honestly, you're struggling with doubt. You're, you're asking those kind of hard questions about God and, and about life. Now... The concern I have today is something that could happen to any one of us. Any one of us. No matter if you're in a relationship with God or you're not in a relationship with God, no matter if you're inside the church or outside the church or, or you're in some kind of transition between outside and inside in some kind of transition in, in your relationship with God. It, it might be true for you right now. And, and, and here's my concern. This is what it is. It's for any one of us to be hampered or limited in the way we live because we do not understand or don't know how to deal with doubt when we have that doubt. Spiritual doubt. Today's uh, scripture is the 15th chapter of Genesis and it tells us three very important things about doubt. Three things that help us understand doubt and know how to deal with it that, that show us how it's possible for us to master doubt rather than for us to be mastered by doubt, for that doubt to take control of us. And number one, uh, this chapter tells us about the reality of doubt. It shows us, number two, how God responds to our doubt. And number three, it shows us how God helps us in our doubt. So let's begin with the reality of doubt. It's dealt with in the, in the first eight verses of chapter 15. And what we discover, and I'm glad we do, is that Abraham was as human as any one of us. He's afraid, and his fear is coming from his doubt. He's doubting God, and he's doubting himself. 
He's doubting whether or not God's going to do what God said he's going to do, and he's doubting whether or not he can do what he needs to do, all right? And I, I think we can all relate to this, right? I mean, I, I think we've all had those times in our life when we doubt God's word and times in our life when we doubt ourselves, whether or not we can live up by our own ability to what God has called us to do, uh, our true north. fact is, Fact is, I'd, I'd say doubt's a reality for all of us at some point, and that's how this chapter begins. So uh, Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 1, we read this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Uh, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Notice how it begins. After after this, excuse me, it's like I got like a big something on my glasses and can't see all of you. All right, after this, after what? Okay, after, after everything that happened in chapter 14, remember, remember that from a couple weeks ago? Uh, there's this battle, Abraham rescues Lot, he, he, he goes after these uh, marauding kings who had gone and, 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 you know, just been wrecking havoc on, on, on a bunch of other people. And, and Abraham, I mean, he's at the top of his game. Everything's going his way. He, he has wealth and power and influence. And, and after that, after he finishes that battle, he's got, he's got everyone's attention and everyone's respect. But but once we step into chapter 14, we see that, that his mountaintop of success and fame has become a valley of doubt and fear. <laughs> Let me ask you have, you, have you ever done something which at the time you did it, uh, it seemed like a stroke of genius? You know, like, like this great act of courage, but later after you had time to think about what you did, the, the potential fallout from what you did where, where everything could possibly go wrong, you, you've said to yourself, you wondered to yourself, what, in, what on earth was I thinking when I did that? Anybody ever been there? You know, well, you know one moment you're 100% sure of yourself and the next moment you're 100% doubting yourself. See, I think that's what happened to Abraham. He got, got home, he thought about what he had just done, which was 318 men. He had gone after uh, the armies of four kings, and, and yeah, absolutely, he sent them all running, but what says they don't come back? What says they don't, they don't retaliate? And when they do, they, they wipe him out. You see, he's doubting himself, and he's doubting God, and so God does what God does so well. God shows up. And God says to him, don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward. And, and, and how does Abraham, or Abram, by the way, Abram, Abraham, his name was Abram. God changed it to Abraham later on. So just so you're wondering about that. Just so, so after God said that to him, did Abraham, Abraham say, say back to God, oh, just so glad you showed up. I'm so glad you told me that. Man, I don't have any more doubt. You I'm, I'm cool, God. I'm cool. Did, did he say that? No. Well, what he did was Abraham lets out stuff 
that obviously he's had inside for a long time. He's been thinking about it for a long time. Stuff that's been bothering him. And so look at what he says in verse 2 and verse 3. But We read this. But, but Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, uh, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. It's, it's, it's like Abram saying that God will, so God, since you brought up this idea of reward, what about the child you promised me? <laughs> Where is he? God, how can I trust you to protect me? You, you haven't even done what you said you'd do for me. And, 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 and if that isn't in God's face enough, he goes on and he says, God, I'm not getting any younger. I think I've waited long enough for this child, and so I've got my own plan. Your plan isn't working, so I've got my own plan for an error. Anybody ever have a conversation like that with God? Where you say, well, God, I tried it your way. Try it your way, God, but it's not working. You know, it's not, it's, not, it's not happening the way you said it would happen. So God, guess what? I'm going to go with plan B. Plan B being my plan. Huh? That's pretty much what Abraham's saying here. We got some big time doubt going on. So what's the first thing we learn? Okay, what's the first thing we learn? I think we learn the inevitability of doubt. We're learning that the possibility of doubt never goes away for any one of us. I mean, think about this, all right, everybody? Here's a man who half the human race, three of the world's major religions, look to as a paradigm of faith. Hey, did you know that? Muslim, Jewish, Christianity. Here's a man who's deep into a life of faith. Don't underestimate for a minute. When we say, see all his struggles, don't forget what this guy has done, what Abraham's done. He's, he's trusting God. He's left everything. He's left his family, his country, his culture, his religion. He's left absolutely everything. And he's done this trusting in the promise of God. And you know what else? He's also a man who just had a word from God, something I think any one of us would love to have, you know, an, an unmistakable and undeniable, clear, audible revelation from God. And you know what? He's still filled with doubt. So do you think you're going to be any different? You know? You know, it... Is it realistic to expect that we'll never have a moment of doubt in our lives more than one of those moments? It's very unlikely. There will always be those times when there's some level of doubt in anybody. In a sense, the problem of doubt never goes away. It's an inevitable thing. See, I'm convinced it's a very healthy thing to recognize this. You know, to be honest with each other and, and to say, you know, I have times of doubt. I've, I've had times of huge doubt in my life. And you know what? You might be there today. You might, you might be sitting there and you might be saying, Steve, you know what? I'm in one of those times right now. Um, showed a video. That was Don Henninger. Don and his wife, Diane, 
are two of my heroes. Okay? In our, other, our first house in town, they lived across the street, and that's how they ended up coming to Brookside. And, uh, so we've been friends for 30 years. Don and Diane are mentors in my life. They are mentors. They've mastered the hard stuff of life in a masterful way. But you know what? Sit down and have a conversation with Don and Diane and ask them if they've ever had times of doubt in their life. And you know what they'll say? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I think one of the... Uh, well, let me, just, let me just say it this way. Okay? I'm here to tell you Okay, better yet, if Abraham was here, he'd tell you. Better yet, God tells us, God shows us that it's okay for us to have those times of doubt in our life. Which, which brings us to the next thing we see in this passage, and that's how God responds to, to our doubt. So look at this, verse 4 and verse 5 that we read, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And, and then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. I, I think this is one of the most loving, encouraging things that God could have done for, for Abram. God restates his promise, just tells him it all over again, and then it's almost if God puts his arms around him, takes Abraham outside, and it was night, and he put, points up into the stars of the sky, and he says to Abraham, can you count those stars? And that was a rhetorical question. No, Abraham could not count those stars. Nobody can. There's so many. And God says to Abraham, I want you to know that's how great a blessing you're going to be to the world. That's how that's how significant what's going to happen through you for the salvation of people is going to be. It's going to be like, it's going to be like all of the stars in the universe. You know? And verse 6 tells us this. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That statement is one of the most important statements in the Bible. In fact, the whole fourth chapter of the book of Romans is devoted to writing about that very statement right there. So let me ask you, do you think all of Abraham's doubt is gone? Do you think he doesn't have any doubt anymore? Not quite. It's not quite gone. Look at this in verse 7 and 8. Uh, God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of, of it. And look at what Abram said. But Abram said, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I will gain possession of it? God gives the promise all over again. And Abraham comes back and he he's. What did he say? He said, how can I know? If that ain't a statement of doubt, I don't know what is. How can I know, God? How can I be certain this is going to happen? And once again, God responds to his doubt in the most loving way possible, this time making a covenant between himself and Abraham. And we're going to see how God does, it. It does this. It's an amazing thing. We're going to come to it in a minute. 
But first, let's take a moment to reflect on what we learn from God's response to Abraham's doubt. Okay, it's so important to know how God responded. When Abraham was honest about his doubt, even after this incredible revelation from God that we'd, like, we'd go, man, would I love to have, would I love to have this voice coming to me from God where there's just no, no way I could possibly miss it's God speaking. And even after that, and even after Abraham came back and said, well, how can I know, God? God, I've got, a, I've got my own plan. God, I've got, I've got some real big doubts that this is, uh, this is all going to happen. Even after all of this, does God come back to Abraham and say, who do you think you are? How dare you doubt me? You find that anywhere in there? No, not at all. God never says that. Instead, God meets Abraham in his doubt, and God graciously gives him what he needs to believe. And friend, God will do the same for you, and I know God has done the same for me over and over again. You see, I see God doing this for Abraham and it gives me confidence to bring my own doubts to God, to be open with God about my doubts, to be open with all of you about my doubts. You know what? It shows me that I can be emotionally and intellectually honest about my doubts. Parents, I think one of the most important things you can do for your children is to give them the freedom to express their doubts. Let them know it's okay. You know, I just, I just think back in our own kids' life. I remember when, when uh, 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 Greg went off to law school. And Greg had become a Christian as a five-year-old. And, I mean, he, just, he was just a straight arrow all the way through high school. And a sh straight arrow, you know, walked the walk all the way through college. Actually taught a, a Sunday school class for little kids <clears throat> when, he was, when he was in college. And then he went to law school. And he suddenly got exposed to, like, a bunch more stuff that he had never, never hit him before. And Greg went through about a two-year period where, man, things were, I mean, we wondered. But we wanted him to have the freedom to express his doubts. I've got text messages from him where he's expressing his doubts. You see, when you express your doubt and you say to God, my faith is weak, God doesn't say, how dare you? God says, doubters are welcome because honest admission of weakness and difficulty and struggle is the way I can meet you in your need. It's the way you can become like Abraham. It's the way you can master doubt. That's what God did for Abraham, and I'm convinced God will do the same for each one of us. So let's see, let's see this. Let's, let's see how God helped Abraham, and let's see how God helps us. So back up again to verse 7. God said to Abraham, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Now, we're going to get into some pretty... Cool stuff here. Complicated, but cool. So stay with me, okay? But Abram said, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? And so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. Do you notice something interesting here? 
God didn't tell Abraham what to do with these animals. He just does it. Which means that Abraham immediately knew what God was talking about. When God said, go get some animals, Abraham knew that God was going to make a covenant, a solemn binding contract between himself and Abraham. Now, um, anybody ever make a contract with somebody else? Ever enter into a contract? Raise, raise your hands if you've ever done that. Like, you know, like built a house or remodeled your house. Whenever you do that, you always, you, you always draw up a contract, right? And, and both parties sign the contract. That, that's how you make sure the other person's going to live up to what they agreed they would do. And if they don't, you can go to the contract and you've, you've got something you can fall back on, right? We all, we all understand that, right? Uh, and let me just say, has anybody ever had a house built where you, just with a handshake? You kind of just, will you do this? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Anybody ever? Anybody ever? We don't do that, right? I think the only two people I've ever heard did something like that was, remember Warren Buffett when he brought Nebraska Furniture Mart? I think they said he, with Rose Blumkin, they just did it with a handshake. Now, I'm, I'll bet you there's a contract somewhere. But anyway, all right, now. In contrast to this, Abraham lived in an oral culture, a storytelling culture. And the way they made contrasts was to, enter, uh, to act it out ritually. And, and they dramatized the consequences of breaking that, that contract, that, that covenant. So, so, so we read this scripture and we ask ourselves, well, what's the deal about the animals getting cut in half? That's kind of weird. You know, get these animals and cut them in half and, you know, so what, what's that all about? Well, Scripture is a good way to understand Scripture. So uh, if you got your Bible, you can turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 34. And while you're turning, I'll get a drink. Okay. Nice to have PowerPoint, isn't it, these days? You, you all know we're going to show you the Scripture, so. So, let me, let me give you the background. Uh, I'm doing a read through the Bible. I uh, just finished the book of Leviticus yesterday. In the book of Leviticus, one of the rules that God gave to the people of Israel is that they could never enslave one of their own, one of their own countrymen. But what we discover is that as the years passed, they ended up doing that. God confronted them for breaking that covenant, and they said, they would, they, they said okay, we'll make right what we've done wrong, but they didn't do it. And so we read this in Jeremiah 34, verse 17. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking for God. And he said, therefore, this is what the Lord says. You have not obeyed me. You have not proclaimed freedom for your fellow countrymen. And God said, I, lo I love how he said this. So I now proclaim freedom for you, declares the Lord. Freedom to fall by the sword and plague and famine. I will make you abhorrent to the kingdoms of the earth, the men who have violated my covenant, and notice that word, violated my covenant, and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between its pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who walk between the pieces of the calf, I will hand over to their enemies who seek their lives. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. 
Uh, you see what's going on here? Here's how you made a covenant in those days. You cut an animal in half, and both parties walk between the pieces. And when you do this, you're ritually identifying with those pieces, and you're actually acting out the consequences, the penalty of breaking the covenant, the contract. What you're saying is, if, if I don't do what I'm promising that I'm going to do, may I be cut off, may I be cut up, may my flesh be thrown out to the desert to be food for the birds and, and, and wild animals. So, so what you're doing is you're making your, yourself a accountable to pay the penalty for the failure to fulfill the promise. Right, here's an idea. You, you might suggest doing this the next time you're going to make a contract with somebody. Instead of doing it on paper, let's, you know, cut up some animals and put them in your backyard and walk between them. I mean, the very least it would do is, is arouse the curiosity of your neighbors, you know, like... Ooh, I don't know if I want to live next door to those people anymore. Okay, but, but God was willing to enter into this kind of covenant. And there, there were two stunning things that God did that must have utterly astounded Abraham. Two things that gave him the confidence to believe. One, God was the one who passed through the pieces. Number two, God did not expect or ask Abraham to pass through the pieces. So let's look at this, all right? First of all, God passing through the pieces. So chapter 15, uh, uh, verse 12, and then verse 17 through 21. I mean, it's just like, this is awesome, okay? As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenesites, all the ites, okay? Just to kind of cut that short, all the ites, okay? Here's what's happening. Abraham is sleeping, and yet he's not sleeping. Because he's seen what's, what's described in these verses and he hears God speak. So what this is, this is a vision that God's giving him. And, and the sun sets, it's pitch black, no city lights in the wilderness, remember. And suddenly there's this smoking, smoking fire pot with a blazing torch that passes between the pieces of meat. And so we ask ourselves the question, what's that all about? Well, what it's about is amazing, let me tell you. Here's why. These are the same two words that describe the top of Mount Sinai when God came down on it many years later to Moses and the Israelites, a billowing smoke and a fiery blaze. What Abraham is seeing is the emblems of God's glorified presence. A, a searing streak of lightning appears and holds its shape, and then with all of its sparks and thunder and smoke and fire, it goes down the aisle between the pieces of meat, and it speaks and it says to Abraham, I will give you the land. Now i got to tell you, Abraham would have been utterly 
dumbfounded because there's only one thing that this could possibly mean. God is saying to him, Abraham, you want to know how you can know? If I don't give you this land, may my immortality suffer mortality. May the impossible become possible. May I, God, be cut off. May I be cut up. May I die. Absolutely incredible. God's saying, I'm going to die if this doesn't happen. But that wasn't all that made this amazing for Abraham. You see, in a covenant, and I just said it a minute ago, both parties walk through the pieces of meat, but God doesn't anywhere ask Abraham to do this. And the deal here is by not doing this, what God did is he took care of all of Abraham's doubt because God is really saying, it's all on me, Abraham. It's all on the creator of the universe. It's all on the God who made everything, the God who can do anything. None of it's on you, Abraham, to make it happen. It's all on me. (laughs) Now, you know what, everybody? This is where I just... This is what grabbed me, like, I mean, I can't, I mean, it's just overwhelming. God did the same for us. He did it through his son. And he did it because of the failure of the human race to live up what God, live up to what God created us to be. You see, in a sense, we've all broken the covenant, the contract with God. We failed to do what God called us to do. We've sinned against the holy God. And centuries later, a darkness came down again, and it was so great, and it was so dreadful that it blocked out the sun at noon. And Mark writes in the 15th chapter of his gospel, at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he said this, what happened to him? Well, Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah tells us in verse 8, he was cut off. He was cut off. That's covenant language. Jesus did what God said he would do to himself if there was any failure to live up to the covenant. God never failed. Abraham failed, and so have I, and so have you. We've all sinned against the holy God, and Jesus died for us. He paid the penalty for our failure to live the life God created us to live. He was cut off for us. And so I want to speak to three of us kind of people here this morning. First of all, whenever you're filled with doubt, whenever you wonder how this world could be the way it is and there's a God, there's a good God, you know what? Look to the cross of Jesus Christ because God did not leave this world without hope. He sent his son to be our savior. My favorite picture of our son Greg is wearing this necklace with this cross. And the only way that Beck and I can handle the loss of our son is through looking at the cross of Jesus Christ and understanding that's where it all begins. It's, that's what gives us the confidence that God loves us. And God loves our son. 
Or you might be here today and you'd say, well, you know what, Steve? Right now, I'm dominated by my doubt. I'm in a very hard time and it's mastering me and my doubt is mastering me. And Steve, speaking of pieces, you know what, Steve? It's my life that's in pieces right now. It's shattered. My life is crumbling right now. And I want to say to you, if that's where you're at, man, God can handle your doubt. God wants you to, God wants to hear your doubt. God wants to help you. And friend, I can tell you with total confidence that Jesus will walk through the pieces of your life with you and he'll put it all back together. He'll care for you and he'll strengthen you and he'll guide you. Or, if you're here today and, man, you want to have a relationship with God in the worst way you want to have it. But you're hesitating, you're holding back because what you're thinking is that you've got to get it all together be before you can have that relationship. And what you need to know, okay, what you need to know is that every other religion in the world makes you go through the pieces. Christianity doesn't. Because Jesus Christ walked through the pieces for you. He took on himself the penalty for us failing to live in perfect, a life of perfect obedience to God. See that? That's the foundation that Abraham built his life on. You know, that's what gave him the confidence that he could live out God's call in his life to be a blessing to the world in which he lived. I mean, that's why he knew he could bring his struggles to God. And God will do the same for you. I cannot possibly count the number of conversations I've had with Don and Diane Henninger. In all of those conversations, I just, again and again, as recently as last week, I walked away and I said, man, that guy just keeps living on his foundation, the promise of salvation, the promise of eternal life. And then I looked at, and, and, and you can ask anybody who spends, who spends 30 minutes, an hour with Don Henninger, and they'll tell you that guy lives by his true north. He lives to be a blessing to the world in which he lives. Because you know what? You, you spend time with that guy, you're, you're not the one blessing him. You're the one who gets blessed. You're the one who gets blessed. Uh, let's pray, okay? Oh, God, how grateful we are to you in every way. And we come to, the, to remember the death of your son this morning in communion. And God, we're so, glad, we're so grateful that Christ meets us right where we are.